Welcome back to Euangelion and part two of our series on Galatians. We looked at Galatians 1, 1 through 5 uh, in the last episode and considered how the God who raised Jesus from the dead had been uh, revealed in a new way. Uh, and Paul was conscious that this world was now divided into two ages, an age before the resurrection and an age after the resurrection. And he's begun this letter in a very defensive, um, very unorthodox way. He is taking up a stance which clearly shows that he has opposition. And in this episode, we'll learn a little bit about that opposition. Interestingly, the nature of the opposition doesn't actually become completely clear until chapter 5, which is um, the penultimate chapter, although there are hints at it all throughout the letter uh, and all throughout Paul's argument. So let's go to the next section, Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10, read as follows. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favour of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. It's interesting how Paul accuses the Galatian Gentiles here of quickly deserting the one who called them. Now, if it's him who called you by the grace of Christ, presumably the one doing the calling is God himself. And he says for a different gospel, which suggests that whoever is uh, causing the upset in Galatia, whoever is causing people to desert the one who's called them, it's most likely that they themselves believe in Jesus because Paul calls their message a gospel. Now, in verse 7, he quickly stuffs the word back in his mouth. Of course, this can't be a gospel because it's in some way contrary to the gospel that was originally preached in Galatia and rescued the Galatian Gentiles. Uh, in chapter 3, of course, Paul will argue that the uh, energy and activity of the Spirit amongst the Gentiles is evidence that they were in Christ. And so, whatever this alternative gospel, this other gospel was, it couldn't possibly be adding anything to the gospel that they'd already received. And yet the fact he calls it a gospel does suggest that the opponents are themselves believers. Now, not everybody believes this. The vast majority of scholars believe this, but there are some who take a different position. I'll mention briefly Mark Nanos. Mark Nanos wrote a book called The Irony of Galatians, and he argues that it's not Galatian believers, not um, Christian Jews who are opposing Paul in Galatia, but actually non-believing Jews. And the irony he's suggesting is this, that what Paul's opponents, his Jewish opponents, are suggesting is that 
they're given certain rights as Jews in the empire. The Romans tried to appease the Jews by not demanding that they needed to engage in the Roman cult, that is, worshipping the Roman emperor. They tried to keep peace with the Jews by allowing them to be exempt. But now that pagans were becoming Christians, now that Gentiles, Romans who weren't Jews, were turning to this Jewish message, it seems, and this is what Mark Nanos argues, it seems that the synagogue was sensing tension. And the irony that they uh, were, were expounding was that if these Gentile Christians adopted Jewish practices that they too could enjoy the exemptions that the Jews enjoyed and that the pressure that was being put on Gentiles to, to become Jews effectively, to be circumcised, to observe the kosher rules and to observe the Sabbath was so they could enjoy those privileges. And those privileges were potentially in jeopardy, so causing problems for the synagogue because now it wasn't just Jews who were turning to this gospel, but rather Gentiles. Now, Nanos is a brilliant scholar, and um, I, I very much like his work, but I, I don't think he's right here. I, I think the strong evidence points to the fact that Paul's opponents in Galatia were themselves believing Jews. They were Christian Jews or Jewish Christians. That the difference is slightly subtle. Uh, it does matter, but I won't make it an issue for this podcast. So Paul challenges the Galatian Gentiles for being enamoured by this alternative message, which he calls a gospel, but then quickly says, no, it's not really a, a gospel. It couldn't be a gospel because it actually distorts the gospel of Christ. And the people who are spreading this message, he says, are disturbing the Galatian Gentiles. And so he takes this very extreme tone, even if we, he said, even if me and my co-missionaries who first preached the gospel to you, and we, we find out how it was that Paul preached the gospel to the Galatians, actually in chapter four, but he says, if even we come back and offer you a rendition of the gospel, which contradicts the one we originally preached, then let us be accursed. And this curse language is, of course, the invoking of a divine curse. There's actually curse language again, which comes up in chapter three. And there are some who even think that at the beginning of chapter three, there is curse language, this idea of the evil eye. We'll get to that in a later podcast. But if someone comes and preaches a different gospel, Paul is adamant that it should not be entertained and that there would be severe consequences for the preachers themselves. And in verse 9 he says something interesting, as we have said before, so I say again now. This is not the first time Paul has said this to the Galatian Gentiles. It's not clear exactly what he means by this, but he is in some sense repeating himself. Now, there are some people who say that in when he says, as we have said before, he simply means that he's repeating in verse 9 what he has just said uh, in verse 8. That's possible. Um, it would seem to be uh, slightly over-speaking in my view. But if anybody preaches a gospel other than the one they preached 
originally. Let them be accursed. And then to this final section in verse 10, um, which clearly draws its impetus from what's gone before. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Now, if indeed the message is that Gentiles needed to somehow become Jews, and that involved circumcision, and bearing in mind that we're talking about circumcising adults in the days before anesthetics, could it be that Paul was being accused of soft-peddling the gospel, making it easy for Gentiles to come in to the covenant relationship with God by not insisting that they are circumcised and become Jews? And this opens up one of the really important questions uh, that in some way Paul is obliquely addressing in Galatians and to some degree in Romans. The scriptures talk often about how Gentiles had a place in the divine economy. There are these wonderful passages in Micah and in Isaiah which talk about how Gentiles would stream to the mountain of God. And yet what wasn't clear was exactly how this would happen. Would Gentiles come into a relationship with God as Gentiles on an equal footing with Jews, as indeed Paul seems very adamant to argue? Or, as his opponents were claiming, did they need to effectively become Jews first? Did Gentiles need to join Israel in order to be part of the covenant? And then there's perhaps the third option. Could the Gentiles come in as Gentiles but only as sort of second division believers, subordinate to the Christian Jews. Well, it seems that Paul's opponents in Galatia took the view that Gentiles needed to join Israel. They needed to effectively become Jews to enter into a covenant relationship with God. After all, the Jews themselves were the recipients of the original covenant. Paul even argues that himself in Romans 9. But Paul's position, and it's unambiguously clear in Galatians, is that Gentiles do not need to become Jews. That Gentiles can enter into covenant relationship with God on an equal footing to their Jewish brethren as Gentiles. And so these rhetorical questions that Paul asks are his way of saying, is my gospel in your minds really an attempt to please people? After all, Paul himself had faced all manner of opposition. How could he be accused of trying to please people? Or is he striving to please men? Is that really what he's being accused of? Is he he trying to make the gospel easy for Gentiles? And then he makes this very profound conclusion. If that were the case, if he was soft peddling the gospel, if he was trying to get in the good books of people, then he would not be the bondservant of Christ. He couldn't be an envoy, an emissary of Jesus, if his goal was to make people happy. You know, in our lives, we waste inordinate amounts of time trying to please people. I've heard it said that when it comes to big holidays like Christmas, that we spend money that we don't have to impress people that we don't like, buying a whole bunch of stuff that they don't need. 
If as Christians we live to please people, then I believe that as Paul we cannot be the bond servants of Christ. And even for people who don't believe in Jesus, really, what is your end game in pleasing people? It could be to keep the peace, it could be to impress them, it could be to gain some advantage. But ultimately, does that advantage really play out in your life? Are you really being authentic? Well, for people who do believe in Jesus, it is absolutely inauthentic to try to please people first and God second. How we look on the outside, especially in this day and age where our social media profiles can tell a story that's very different from the actual story of our lives. It seems to me that people pleasing is uh, uh, an art form and it's one that we would do well to ditch. Now in chapter two, Paul starts to expand upon his somewhat fractious relationship with the Jerusalem administration, particularly Peter and James. And he was adamant in particular that he was not trying to please them or indeed any other leaders um, with his gospel. What mattered was that he pleased God. What mattered was that the gospel was a faithful representation of the gospel that had been revealed to him. And in the next podcast, he, we'll, we'll talk about the, how this gospel was revealed to Paul, how it was revealed internally, how Christ met him and somehow uh, conveyed to him that this was the message that the Gentiles needed to hear. And it is also true that if the gospel is distorted, that God won't be pleased. I'm not going to suggest that anybody is necessarily under a divine curse, but if we follow Paul's line here, it is a grave misdemeanor to preach a gospel that is somehow contrary to the gospel of Jesus. And this is why, as Christians, we really have to acquaint ourselves with the ins and outs of this gospel message. Gospel means good news, a good announcement. What is that good news? What is the substance of it? Only by immersing ourselves in the gospel texts can we really get to grips with what this gospel means and how it's supposed to be played out in our lives. And indeed, only then can we know what is the gospel that we're supposed to be conveying to the world and trying to um, persuade the unbelievers to engage with. But if it's another kind of gospel, if it's a gospel that's somehow self-promoting, self-aggrandizing, or seeks financial gain, or seeks popularity or reputation, if it's that kind of gospel, it's a false gospel, and it will not please God, and it will not draw people to God. So who are we trying to please today? Are we living to please people? Are we living to be in people's good books? Do we want a pat on the back from other human beings? Do we need people's approval to do what it is that God himself has called us to do? If indeed we do, then like Paul, we cannot be the bond servants of Christ. <laughs>